final faculty case was a patient of Dr. Loneal of an unusually young patient with this diagnosis. So this is a 23-year-old gentleman who presented to the emergency room with a three-week history of weakness, fatigue, and back pain. His initial biochemical evaluation in the emergency room showed hypercalcemia with a calcium of 14, acute renal failure with a creatinine of 3.5, and a hemoglobin of 9, and multiple compression fractures in the spine, T5, T10, L1. No extramedullary disease, no plasmacytoma, but multiple clear compression fractures. His bone marrow initially showed 70% plasma cells. He had a beta-2 of 5. At what point did you meet him? I met him after he had been resuscitated from the fluid perspective. He was pretty dry when he came in. He'd received bisphosphonates and aggressive hydration as well as transfusion, had already had the bone marrow, and his creatinine had come down to about 1.8. But he was still in the hospital? Yes, yeah. He was in the hospital for about three weeks. What was it like kind of walking in there, seeing this 23-year-old man with myeloma? Was his family there? What was the scene? Yeah, this was a tough case because nobody expects myeloma in a 23-year-old. I think they did not have a great understanding of the diagnosis itself. They were a relatively new-to-the-U.S. kind of a family, didn't have a great understanding. I think they realized that the son was pretty sick, but they weren't able to grasp, at least in the first few weeks, exactly what we were talking about. What's the age distribution of myeloma in terms of, you know, median age? And Mm -hmm. how often do you see under age 25? Well, I think the average age is still between 65 and 70. And and the reason that I think that trials like the French trial that looked at patients between 75 and 85, for instance, that was published by Dr. Hulon about a year or so ago is so important is that a third of patients are over the age of 75. I think what we're starting to realize is that there is a significant fraction of patients who are under 50, probably 15 to 20 percent. Under 30 is probably much, much less common. I would say less than 3 or 4 percent are under the age of 30. This is the youngest I've ever seen. And I think what's interesting, in a manner similar to prostate cancer, the incidence of myeloma is twice as common among African Americans, and the age tends to be 10 years younger at presentation also similar to prostate cancer, among African-Americans versus non-African-Americans. So there clearly is an age and an ethnicity bias uh, in the disease itself. That's interesting because I don't remember hearing very much about, you know, heredity and myeloma. There's starting to be some families now. There's lymphoma myeloma families that have been identified. But if you look at, for instance, in Africa and Ghana, and the Mayo Clinic has done these kinds of assessments, The incidence of MGUS and myeloma are clearly double what they are in Europe, in even South America, and certainly in Asia, where the incidence is significantly lower. There are genes, we just don't know what they are. Any comments on the management of the renal dysfunction acutely in this patient presenting with the creatinine of 3.5 and hypercalcemia? Yeah, the keys are to understand... Because what we find very often is that, and this is often driven by the hospital-based pharmacy, for instance, they don't want to give the bisphosphonates in patients with acute renal failure. And I think they're sort of missing the forest for the trees. You're never going to really make the hypercalcemia better till you give the bisphosphonates. And bisphosphonate-induced renal failure is not an acute issue. It's a chronic issue over time, multiple months of administration. So you're almost never going to go wrong with a single dose. And what we have now started to really push amongst the house staff and the fellows is hydrate as best you can, get the bisphosphonates in, and see where you settle down to to decide subsequent doses and subsequent frequency of bisphosphonates. But don't hold it because the patient has a high creatinine. 
And you just give one dose of bisphosphonate, which one, and when do you repeat it? Well, in this kind of an acute setting, one dose is usually sufficient. You can use things like calcitonin to bring the calcium down a lot quicker. I think in this case, they got pomidronate, and then the next dose would be a month later. That's what we're going to give as ongoing therapy. So at the time that he kind of stabilized to whatever extent he could, what was this calcium and creatinine, and what were you thinking about in terms of induction therapy? So he had normalized his calcium and had had his creatinine down to about 1.8. He clearly had a light-chain myeloma, was spilling a fair amount of urine paraprotein, and had a free light, I think that was over 6,000 or something along those lines. So clearly had light-chain myeloma, and some of that renal insufficiency was related to light chains. What about the treatment? So he ended up receiving RVD and was one of the early patients that we treated on the study. And within 10 days of starting on therapy, his pain, his back pain, and all the other major symptoms that he was having alleviated pretty significantly. He was up walking around despite these compression fractures, felt significantly better, obviously, with correction of his electrolyte abnormalities, and actually following one cycle of therapy had achieved a complete remission. What about the issue of using lenalidomide here with renal dysfunction? Yeah, this was somebody, again, whose creatinine had come down to about 1.8. If we looked at his creatinine clearance, he's probably right on the border of 50, which I think is the cutoff now for full dose versus reduced dose. You know, my approach is that in patients in whom I think the renal dysfunction is disease-related and that with adequate therapy it will reverse, I will tend to come in with full-dose therapy to maximize the likelihood of getting a response. And I think that the downside of that is that perhaps you'll have a little bit more prolonged cytopenias. It's not that you'll get more renal failure with it. It's actually just that the drug hangs around a little bit longer. And in this case, his creatinine came down to less than one following one cycle of therapy. Now, what about the issue of harvesting his stem cells We asked on this survey, would you do it after the patient had four to six cycles of treatment, RVD in this case, Mm -hmm. or could you just go ahead and do it as soon as he was in CR, which was after one cycle? So in this case, we elected to do it after four cycles of therapy. He tolerated his therapy very well. I think nobody really knows whether you can collect it immediately after CR or not. We do know that in lenalidomide-based inductions, earlier is probably better than later, but four cycles seems to be more than sufficient to be able to successfully collect cells, and in this case, that's what he ended up doing. How were his cells collected? Growth factor mobilization. No problem? No problem. Is that generally what's been seen with RBD? You know, in the paper that Paul has reported now, I think it's uh, first edition blood actually just this week, there were a few patients who did not collect with growth factors alone, but I think everybody was successfully collected with either Mozabil or with cyclophosphamide. Now, this patient also had radiation therapy to the vertebrae and kyphoplasty. What went into the thinking there? It's really more for pain control on this patient. You know, the kyphoplasty was to restore a little bit of height if we were able to. Radiation was really just a few days, you know, mostly because he was having some difficulty with mobility and twisting his spine. This is a pretty young guy that was working as a gardener, essentially, and so had a pretty strenuous work approach and wanted to get back to work after the first cycle of therapy, and pain was his biggest issue. So short course of radiation and kyphoplasty really made a big difference for him. No, he then gets to a point where he's had a total of eight cycles of RVD. Mm -hmm. He's in a CR, and the question is, should he get transplanted? Should he get lenalidomide maintenance? Should he get observed, more RVD? 
And in our survey, we saw a spectrum of responses, but the most common one was just go ahead and transplant. Another less common answer was to start lenalidomide maintenance. What did you do, and how did you answer this question? So this patient actually ended up going on single-agent lenalidomide maintenance and has essentially stayed in CR for over two years now and has done well, is back to work, and really has no major limitations. His biggest limitation is having to come to see us once a month. What kind of thromboprophylaxis is he on with the lenalidomide maintenance, and what was he on with the RVD for that matter? Actually, he started on an aspirin initially and then maintained on an aspirin with single-agent lead. And that's full-dose aspirin, not the Mm -hmm. mini. That's right. Did you discuss with him going ahead with the transplant, or just you felt like he should be on lenalidomide maintenance and hold off on the transplant? We offered him, as we do most of our folks when they achieve that quicker response, the option of going to early transplant. And, you know, it's interesting. I'll tell you about half the patients decide that they want to get the transplant and sort of be done with therapy, and the other half say they want to keep doing what they're doing and just stay on maintenance therapy. So it's interesting to see the dichotomy between choices when you're given similar situations. Now, are you participating in this study that's going to randomize between immediate and delayed transplant? Yes. Yeah, we are. I'm guessing maybe it wasn't available at the time you had to make the decision for this patient? That's correct. So this patient was over two years ago, started on therapy. That trial is just starting now. Just out of curiosity, do you think you would have presented that trial to him? And do you think he would have accepted that randomization? You know, that's a good question. I think we definitely would have presented it to him. I find that given that there's no data one way or the other in this kind of a situation, I don't think that patients are going to have an issue with that because it's not a matter of transplant versus no transplant. It's a matter of when. And so as long as you're not withholding a therapeutic option, I think their patients will be fine. Have you started to put people on that study? We are still waiting for the final protocol. I think the Europeans have just started now. I'd be really curious to see what I hear in terms of how patients respond. Mm -hmm. Now, your use of lenalidomide maintenance. Now, when did you actually make the decision about lenalidomide maintenance in him? Well, so we followed actually the protocol for him. So he received a total of four and then received an additional four after collection for a total of eight. And then maintenance is a little bit of dealer's choice. And so per protocol, you were allowed to continue all three drugs. You were allowed to continue a single drug. And so we elected to go with a single drug just for the sake of convenience. But my question is, when did he hit that point roughly? How long has he been on the maintenance? 18 months. So I guess my question is, for how long have you been utilizing lenalidomide maintenance and you know, has the recent data that's been presented at ASCO in any way changed the way you view this? Well, I think in the case, his case, as well as other patients who we offer delayed transplant, it's important to realize that you cannot necessarily just stop therapy once they've achieved a CR. I think that's very clear. Four cycles of RVD and nothing doesn't last for terribly long. I think on the other hand, four cycles of RVD followed by consolidation or maintenance therapy is a different situation. And so if you're going to offer delayed therapy, you can't just stop. So in this guy, we made the decision very early on. If he was not going to go to transplant, then he had to stay on some form of active therapy. I think that the data that's going to be presented at ASCO, predominantly the CALGB trial, and then an analysis from the IFM looking at lenalidomide consolidation, I think that those are different kinds of situations. Both of them are in the post-transplant setting. Both of them appear to, at least from the initial press releases, show an improvement in progression-free survival. But I'd like to sort of get a sense for if that improvement is for everybody. Are there certain sets for whom it may be more marked? 
Are there certain sets for whom it may be less obvious? And the reason I bring this up is that there certainly are analyses from the thalidomide era that suggest if you were already in a CR, thalidomide maintenance did not appear to offer very much in terms of improvement. And if we're going to expose patients to chronic therapy, I kind of want to make comfortable that it's for everybody or is it just for certain populations? Now, we also asked in the survey about the issue of the bisphosphonates in a situation like this or in this patient. We always, when we ask about bisphosphonates and myeloma, we always see a pretty fair amount of heterogeneity in what people do. Mm -hmm. In this situation, we had a fair number of people who would treat out to a total of two years and then decrease their frequency to two to three months and do that indefinitely. And then there were others who get up to 24 months and stop. Not quite as many. How do you approach it? Well, our approach is essentially two years of therapy. And then at the two-year mark, usually at the one-year post-transplant mark, we will do an assessment with a bone mineral density to get a sense for what the bone density is looking at. And in patients that have essentially normal bone density and are in complete remission, we will stop bisphosphonates at that time point. In patients who have still low bone density, we will likely continue but go to every three months in that situation. 